0: Okay, Richard, so on a scale of one to what the hell, how much did you expect to see Barkley again?
1: Uh, what the hell?
0: I I thought so. Uh,
1: what? And in a very weird context nonetheless, but it's good to see that he's found a better place for himself because he didn't quite belong on the Enterprise, but in a research situation, probably pretty good.
0: I'm a little confused about the timing of this i guess that when the enterprise was destroyed at the end of generations which happened i think like six months before this episode of voyager that he got transferred off and and went to the jupiter research station and started working with lewis zimmerman which is all fine
1: when is the last time we've seen barkley though because it could have been he got silent he transferred off the enterprise in the last half of the last season for example
0: you know, I don't actually know. I think it may have been "State of Fear," the episode where with the uh, transporter monsters. Yeah,
1: and I guess uh, uh, again that that situation might have been what led him to think. You know, researching this stuff is so much fun. I'm going to get a job as a research guy.
0: I I suppose that that's true. I I just wonder about the fact that he is apparently in charge of the interpersonal programming. That seems like either a little bit of an in-joke on Brown and Braga's part or just a really bad call on Starfleet's part.
1: Either that or this is an episode where what's real, what's not real. And could it be that just Barkley is not Zimmerman's assistant in real life but this is just a mixed up memory and they just wanted I don't know I mean this whole episode was kind of a mess in a way so I I'm not sure if why exactly Barkley got his job is what makes the episode fall apart but you know
0: I don't know because projections to me I can never decide if I really like this episode or really don't like it and it is the case where this is we we haven't engaged with Brian and Braga in a long time. And I know that we talked about him somewhat in the TNG podcast back in nineteen seventy two. And it was the case where I think he definitely does this kind of episode a lot, which is yeah. this sort of mind fucky, very sci fi ish, you know, very sort of not character heavy, just kind of this this Pandora's box mystery of what the hell is going on. And this is another one of those episodes. I think that in terms of how it develops the Doctor, I think it's a very yes. interesting episode and we will definitely talk about that. I I don't I think perhaps the 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 very last fake out is yeah, yeah, just yeah. goes a little too far. But that I don't yeah, know. that is
1: I think where it, well, I, I feel like this would be an interesting episode to rewatch knowing the twist of it, because I did have the idea one of my first notes was oh i wonder if this is all just fake for some reason i had thought it was going it was a simulated test to see if he could handle getting these projectors to be around the ship or this was his you know promotion exam that was just thrust upon him and that's the starfleet way um and
0: yeah i mean that that could certainly be the case i i think that I mean opening it in Media Race is, is obviously a a, a burn and braga device and I think that that kind of establishing it is not re- the doctor not really knowing what's going on. I mean there's a lot of things in the episode that are that are very fun and interesting. I mean I like the fact that I mean aside from the fact that why is Barkley in the episode? <laughs> it's n- it's not a bad idea to use the character. I mean I don't think that I would have chosen to use Barkley, but I think he works and Barkley is definitely a character that you know I, I was never a huge fan of, but I think that that he worked okay on on TNG, and I think that he's obviously developed a little bit more, and he got away from the uh, – I, I don't know. Like we, I remember us talking about it and saying like it seemed to me that everyone on the Enterprise was just being very, very dicky to him for no reason, so I'm glad that he got away from his high school tormentors or something. I don't know. But he seems like he's come into his own. I mean, obviously, this is not the real Barkley, so who the hell knows. But on the other hand, it's it's the case where having the doctor – question his own reality having the doctor have to really grapple with an existential question yeah establishes him as a person that is really starting to come into his own i think
1: i mean one of the towards the end he is essentially given the question given the choice between i mean I mean, Barclay even states it very bluntly towards the end. He says, "Well, which would you rather think you are—a human who has a has a wife, has a family, has an assistant, has a job—or a hologram on a ship that's stranded in the middle of nowhere?" And I, I, I think it's Chakotay says, "Well, it doesn't really matter what you want to be; it's what you are." I think this is—I think this defines the the doctor as not wanting to be human in a way. It's it's not like he... He is not Data. Data would... It, choice between which would you rather be. Sure, Data would choose what things are, but he would want to be the human with the family, with the job, with the assistant. And I don't think the Doctor is seduced by that lifestyle. He is what he is, and he is getting more dignity. I mean, frankly, Voyager is the Doctor's... Opportunity to grow and become a person, even if he is not human, uh, it is an opportunity he would not have had uh, if if he had just his program had just been used as intended.
0: No, I I agree with all that, and I I think that that one of the things that that is interesting about the doctor in comparison with data, because of course data was Pinocchio, right? Data yeah. was the the boy who wanted to become human, and. The Doctor is not. The Doctor is is someone that has been activated very recently. I mean, Data, of course, was around for a lot longer before we first met him on the Enterprise, so he had an opportunity to develop a personality already. We are kind of seeing the Doctor Develop beyond the capabilities of his programming or whatever. I mean, if it's sort of this this heuristic learning capabilities yeah. or artificial intelligence or whatever it is, you know, when he first started out, when he was first activated, and we actually go back to the moment he was first activated, which is a nice little, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. a nice little moment. He was basically uh, a competent asshole, and he is definitely becoming. I think a very different person. He is starting to develop a personality and he is also developing his personality. I think under very, very extreme circumstances under a lot of stress. I mean, I think that he's probably being asked to do a lot of things that even a human doctor might struggle with Yeah. uh, or, or, or not. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say human, but, but a a, a quote unquote real doctor. And I, I think that for the doctor, he's looking at this and he's saying, well, I may not want to be here. And I think that's what this episode is really about. You know, I, yeah. I, I may not want to be here. I may not have chosen to be here, but I am here. And there's also, I think, a fundamental respect that Chakotay is giving him. Because, and yes. I, you know, I, I don't know why it's Chakotay, really. I mean, it could have been anybody. But it, it's interesting to me that... he. I mean, Ur- Chakotay,
1: I, I want to say, just to interject, he doesn't really have any parts in the rest of the episode. He's kind of the only character that uh, the Doctor doesn't interact with, and so I, I think it does help it be a little less confusing. In other words, Chakotay is always outside the simulation.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I think that's probably a, a, a good point. Yeah, and I, I think the, and the also Chaco- Sorry, well, it's Chaco- also
1: not... Sorry, it's also not incidental that the Native American character is the one who kind of becomes the spirit guide out of this place to him, either.
0: Yeah, I mean that's certainly true, and I, I mean, I do think that that having it be Chakotay, aside from that, is also it, it is the case where something like initiations, for example, you know, Chakotay is developing into a very, very uh, uh, not a passive person, but but a but a spiritual a, a pacifist, right? And he is someone who is. You know, open to new experiences and is able to, I think, go between worlds very easily. And so, it being Chakotay kind of makes sense for that reason. It's another sort of step into his personality. I can see Janeway, for example, being a bit too aggressive with the doctor in this in this instance, and perhaps the doctor deciding not to trust her. And so, I mean, but I also think that that the other thing that this makes me think of is, you know, how Janeway, how the other crew members treated the doctor when he was first activated and it was really Cass that pushed him forward and pushed everyone else to accept him as a a real person quote unquote because he had to uh, he had he had to do that because i think that if he didn't he would have stopped wanting to help them <laughs> i mean they were they were all being kind of a, a, a being kind of next to him and i think you know you see that at a nice little moment for example when he deletes paris
1: yeah yeah um you saying this is actually making me wonder if the ending scene would have been stronger as if if instead of Chicote, it was Kess, in that way you have her it, both in the role of the wife and as Kess, and both of them are in in a way saying pick my side i'm the real one it would have may have been a bit more visually striking and more of a harkening to kes being the one who does treat him like a person first and does uh, be, be begin to open the crew up to the idea of thinking of the doctor as a person
0: I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. I, I, I don't know if it being Kess would have been a little too far because, again, you know, you, you keep saying she's a Mary Sue character, which I don't disagree. Yes, with. of I course. Mean, we will talk about elogium in a few minutes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I am oh really
1: excited to talk about elogium, but
0: I'm glad. I'm glad one of us is uh, it, it, that it's the case that I think I don't know. It, it, Kess being his wife is is interesting because it 's almost the case that I think the doctor is sort of i mean well there 's two things that are going on number one of course is that the doctor is now able to to dream essentially and that he is he yeah. is creating this sort of fantasy uh in some sort of way to protect himself from this radiation or whatever i you know it doesn 't really matter, but the case is that he does latch on to cass as a very, very strong figure in his life that he has romantic and sexual feelings for. I mean, that is essentially what he is doing. And I think that... I don't know that that would have been the choice that I would have made, but I mean, does, I, does it work? I, I don't know.
1: I, I think that certainly the... Kes is the doctor's wife in as much as that she is the person that he... Lays his fears out to the person that he works with, the person who—I mean, the two of them do have an extraordinarily close relationship. If she's not his wife, she's his best friend, certainly. And, uh, I mean, in a way, but I mean, Kes certainly has Neelix, and Kes will insist to Neelix time and time again, like, I'm happy. I can have friends outside of you, but— you know that doesn't.
0: Well, I, I want to talk about Neelix, but yeah,
1: yeah. I to say well, we will get into that more. I again, I'm just focusing on Kes in this right now. Um, Kess certainly doesn't view the Doctor as a romantic partner, but she still, I, I, again, the two of them are very close, are intimate with each other. They have helped each other to grow and become better people together. So to fit him, to put this in a more mundane context, into the context of the kind of life that Lewis Zimmerman is having, uh, Kess would slot probably best into the wife slot in a way, again, given the amount of intimacy and mutual trust and all of that between the two of them. I, thi- I, I think the ending kind of suggests that, again, in real life, the Doctor doesn't feel this way. He doesn't want to date Kess necessarily. And right. I feel like when the show inevitably goes that route, it will be missing the point of it because I know the show will inevitably go down that route. Uh,
0: I, I don't know because I, I mean to some degree, yes, I, I, I think that you're right that, that this, this kind of relationship between a man and a woman slot is very Easily into a romantic and sexual connection, and you know, I I know we promised a while ago not to talk about straight people anymore, but it it is the case where I think it, it, yes, that is that is definitely true, but at the same time, it seems to be to be a failure of imagination. I mean, I don't know
1: because I think that things are a little more queer in the in the Delta quadrant than they are in the Alpha quadrant, aren't they? I mean. In Ellosium, we are going to learn about a form of reproduction that is as far apart from heteronormativity as we uh, – from – in the next episode, we are going to be talking about a form of reproduction that is as far from standard heterosexual reproduction as we know it. And so, of course, the Alpha Quadrant version of the Doctor is going to be in marriage rather than in a platonic close friendship with somebody. I don't know, maybe that's stretching it a little further, but I do get the sense that this is one of those where they don't, uh, uh, again, Voyager needs to have certain rules and standards and in order to remember who they are and stay true to their values, but again, this is, I find I'm very much leading into the next episode already, um...
0: Right. they have
1: they have to be aware that they're very far from home that things are different and that they they may not necessarily have have the same standards of decorum just because it's lonely and and it sucks and we've got to find comfort where we can
0: well, yeah, I guess I guess that, that that's a good segue to my next question, which is that
1: y- y-
0: y- the doctor in this episode, they seem to be sort of hinting around the edges at the doctor's loneliness. I mean, the, the doctor, I don't think it's incidental that the doctor is fantasizing about being able to leave stick bay. Right. Yeah. And uh,
1: so so at the end of the that is just a fantasy at the end of the ep- I, I was actually slightly unclear on that, whether the projections were real or not.
0: No, no. I mean he was he's not able. I mean he's able to go to he's able to go to the holodeck because the holodeck has holographic projectors and he's able to be in sickbay because sickbay was designed to have holographic sure, projectors. Sure, sure. But and this I'm actual su-
1: technology I'm, has not been installed. Although it is possible that as a result could, yeah. of him dreaming this, he may mention it to Balana, who may decide, "Hey, that's a really interesting project to work on." So the, the I I I, I've said I feel like the doctor will be getting more of a run of the ship and eventually maybe even outside just to give him different stories.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see that you, you definitely can see that happening. And I think that for for me, what's interesting about this episode, aside from from Cass and Barkley, is that the doctor is alone for a lot of it. And he is dealing yeah. with with people that he thinks are real or not real. And I think it's really it is really hinting at the fact that that perhaps he's latching onto Cass not because he has any romantic feelings for her but because she is the only person who yeah. is consistently around it in his life in a non professional capacity. I mean, she, I, I, she, I think she likes the doctor. I think she respects the doctor. I mean, we don't see the real Cass in this episode uh, except I think for the very end. But it is the case that I, I don't know to what degree we're supposed to be left with the question of. How is the doctor going to come to terms with his loneliness? Yeah. I mean, that seems like a question that may be a little too far afield for this show.
1: Yeah, I I I, I think that is so. He has – because he ha, he does have a very strong loneliness that Data never had. Data would never admit to – Data had friendship. Data had – but he wouldn't have – I don't think he would really admit to being lonely or feeling alone. Um, right, right in a way I mean, it, it 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 is certainly another step from odo as well though who did recognize his his singular nature did make him fairly alone and the doctor has a lot of the same issues that odo did. he's the only one of his kind around he people can't necessarily see the world through his eyes he can have very close connections to Kess and you know she yeah. can she certainly knows what it's like to be very very alone and the only one of her species around but she has neelix neelix certainly has his backstory but he and the doctor don't seem to be getting along the doctor doesn't really have anybody who understands oh that's exactly what it's like to be a holographic life form to suddenly pop into existence to have more of an existence than you ever expected or to have
0: but but I think at the same time the doctor is comforted by that. I mean I I I think that's what the the point of that last shot is, where he's sticking his arm out of sickbay and his arm yeah. disappears, of course, because there are <laughs> no holographic projectors in the hallway. And and he he seems very comforted by that.
1: Well, yeah, of course he recognizes that. Finally, he's back in reality, and he knows who he is. And even if he's things are getting much better for him at, through his time at Voyager, he because the crew. Are starting to view him as one of their own, and they are view. They may have had a little trouble at the beginning understanding him as a person. He had a little trouble be- at the beginning understanding himself as a person. But they're all getting used to each other, and they're understanding each other, and they're getting along and appreciating him for what he is.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Now, now, in terms of leaving aside all of the the interpersonal stuff for for a moment. Uh, we we kind of talked about this a little bit at the beginning but but how do you feel about the actual like construction of the episode do you think it was a satisfying mystery were you confused did you were you able to follow along with it i always yeah. find that i i think that this episode is very strong on a it's very strong in its construction i think again until the very end when it just goes a little bit too far but for the most part i really yeah. like the way that it's it's piling its mysteries upon
1: itself it's it it uh, it's not Again, Brandon Braga writes these episodes, but he is very good at them, and he at least the pieces all fit. Even if it's not the most elegant picture ever, it it, it all makes sense. I think at all at all times he knows what level of reality we're in, what is going on, what of this is real, what is simply inspired from what is what is spinning off of something and. I think they're able to make it clear at the end what was what in
0: a way. Yeah, yeah, and and I also think that that um, that's all true. And, and and maybe the last thing to say before we move on to to Elogium is that interestingly enough, we see Janeway, we see uh, Neelix, we see uh, Kess, Paris, I think Kim, Belana, Belana, but we are not seeing the real them. We are seeing, I think, what the doctor, the yeah. doctor's opinions of those people are, and. I don't know that they're very different from the real people, but they are sort of archetypes of themselves. Yeah, and yeah so yeah. I I just think that's kind of interesting, who the doctor picks to see in his subconscious and, and how they're acting. I mean, you know, Nealick, I didn't they, pick up on that at
1: all. That's That being one of those, first time through, not knowing the mystery, I'm not really looking at the... I, I think that will be interesting to rewatch and knowing that these are projections themselves.
0: Yeah, because I mean, like you know, Bolana is is Bolana pretty much. Uh, Neelix is being attacked by a Kazon. <laughs> which uh, uh, I think is he interesting because I fights think that may like uh, right? Like, I think the Doctor doesn't really, maybe doesn't, I don't know, doesn't have a high opinion of Neelix. I'll just <laughs> leave it at that. But but for the most part, I think that they're all pretty close to their real. To the real people, and I I don't know if that's a failure of imagination on Brown and Braga's part, or if that's just how the doctor is. Maybe the doctor is very literal because he's a hologram. I don't know.
1: I don't know, but it does make sense that Neelix would that the doctor would not like Neelix because I'm sure Neelix is just a total asshole to him because out of his jealousy, and he's probably just always snapping at the doctor for no reason. (laughs) You know, after the doctor saved his fucking life
0: yeah well, <laughs> well the doctor saved his life twice, didn't he <laughs> so so let's we can use that as a segue to to move into elogium then because so Neelix's uh quick and and sudden turn into being some sort of weird jealous uh men's rights activist. I don't know w- who the fuck thought this was an interesting character choice for neelix uh he didn't act this way in any previous no. episode, and then suddenly at the end of Projections, he's violently jealous of the Doctor, and then in the beginning of Eulogium, he's uncomfortably jealous about Paris and berating Kess for yeah. talking to a man. And
1: I don't I mean, know if he it's... has that awful <laughs> line like that. That's how men are. I know. I used to be like that, which is a sign that you were a really shitty guy before you started dating this person who is probably the only good thing in your life right now like that that's not Mm -hmm. again i i do not begrudge neelix for having learned some wrong lessons given the horrors that are in his background at the same time he needs to get the hell over all of this because dude you're in you're you're essentially in the federation now
0: right and i i mean i think that that Part of it uh, is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm watching The Handmaid's Tale, but like, I, I think that <laughs> it's the case that I look at this and I say, okay, well, this is obviously coming, jealousy comes from a place of insecurity, right? For the most part. And obviously, jealousy yeah. is not a good thing. Men are not in control of women. Women can take care of themselves, they are independent entities of men. And, and, all that stuff, right? Uh, but at the same time, I think that I look at this and I say, okay, well, Neelix... If you look at his backstory from Jantrell, from he was married. He had a family. I don't think he had kids, but... Or maybe he... I don't remember. Uh, I don't think he had kids, but he had a family. He had a niece or something. Uh, he was in the army. He was a guy. He had a life. And then that was all taken away from him in very horrible circumstances, and he decided to go off and become the outrageous Akana of the Delta Quadrant. And so... He would be feeling insecure. He would be feeling yeah. alone. He would be feeling all of these things. Then here he meets Cass. He meets this beautiful woman who uh, he decides to be in a relationship with. And But all of his his problems, all of his insecurities are still there. I I think that that is a fine way to approach it. I yeah, just and,
1: think and that... I was also, keep in mind the people that he is jealous of. Tom Paris, who is much more... Handsome than Neelix is. He's a pilot and all of that. The doctor who is a doctor who is te- who is teaching Kes how to become a doctor herself. What Neelix can cook and he's kind of funny again, but he's weird looking. I think he he doesn't necessarily trust Kes when she says like I'm happy, you're fine, I love you," uh, which is I think a common thing that people that men have that they still need to get the hell over, but because it is not fair to Kess, it's not fair to Tom Paris, it's not fair to the doctor, it's not fair to... Ne- is it, that attitude is just unfair to everybody. Well, it's unfair
0: to everybody, but it, but it's also deeply, deeply creepy and, and, yeah. and, and misogynistic. And I think that... I, I don't know, because to me, I look at it and I say, I mean, I kind of agree with that, but at the same time, Neelix's jealousy coming from a place of low self-esteem and insecurity is one thing, but... Yeah. We are still talking about a a television show that should know better than to have a violently jealous, creepy man. And I think that they're not... The the problem is that I don't think that they're really engaging with it. I don't think that they're questioning it. I don't think that they're saying that this is bad. I just think that they are saying, hey, you know what? Neelix needs a new character beat, so let's make him violently jealous.
1: Well, there is a degree of that's just how men are, almost, that's implied, or this is normal, and kes is saintly that when she is going through uh, uh an extreme ver kes is such that when she is going through her species equivalent of Ponfar, far she is still this extraordinarily patient willing to talk it through dealing with his insecurity she only gets mildly upset
0: well i i don't think that kes comes across as great in this episode either i, I think that this episode has real problems for how it treats men and women both and i think that i mean Cass essentially. star trek show right i mean cass essentially browbeats neelix into having a child with her which i don't think is a great look i mean Hmm. if you accept the fact that women are in control of their own bodies and can decide what to do with them then men are also in control of their own bodies and can decide what to do with them and this is the 24th century there are no uh, 20th 21st century gender politics there are no politicians going around saying that women are just hosts right none of this is true in the Federation none of this the, the, none of these people grow up in that sort of society now we don't yeah. know what kind of society Talax had so maybe it was deeply deeply misogynistic I don't know but I I don't I don't think that Kess comes across great in this episode either
1: yeah I I mean let me put it this way it certainly doesn't seem like Kess's society was particularly misogynistic either we uh, from the little that we see of it in uh caretaker it seems that the caretaker loves everybody equally kind of a thing
0: yeah but i don't know i don't think that they ever really met the caretaker did they i mean the caretaker was up on his space station
1: yeah no 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 but but i again the little that we see of our society implies that that they know that the caretaker exists, right? They know that there is somebody providing for all of them. And so one assumes that they would structure their society a little more laterally in that way.
0: Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, what? W- w- why would you think that? I, I don't know that why, I
1: necessarily— why, it's, so, so then I guess the implication is that—I I, I don't know. I, I get the sense that—I don't know. I—, I don't think Kess is a person who has internalized the inferiority of women based on her own culture. And so whether that means that she's rebelled against her culture, she has left it after all, or that her culture has taught her some kind of equality between men and women and Arla are, you know, lower than the caretaker, certainly. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that... Either it, way, it, yeah, we're getting into fanfic weeds, but... Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, I think that it, to, to some respects, to ground this back into the episode, I I, I do think that... That, you know, we we do have to grapple with the fact that Neelix and Kess are in this relationship, and that, yeah. that this this thing is happening to to Cass, and she is obviously going into. I mean, I hate to say this, but she's going into heat prematurely. Uh yeah. and and so I think that that is affecting her, obviously on a hormonal level, on a mental level, on an emotional level. It's a very stressful time for her. On a
1: practical I, I, level, because th- there is the sense of this is now or never. If this were something that she would. It- If she would have another opportunity in even five years, let's say, this would not be as big of a deal because, okay, we can go around the next time.
0: Right. And I I think in terms of, I mean, we haven't really talked about what it means that that Kessa species, the Ocampa, only live for nine or 10 years. Yeah, I I do think that that it does make a certain amount of sense that they would would have this sort of reproductive thing, that it is very different from what we're used to, as you said before, that they can only do it once because it's very, very intensive on your body to have a child. And so if you only live for nine or 10 years, having a child you know, at year four or five, that's pretty much all you can do. And then you you can get your child to a point where they're ready to have a child and then you die... I, I think that's kind of an interesting way to develop this yeah, species
1: around uh, the halfway point of life. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah,
0: yeah, because it kind of like okay, well, I am ready to have you go off and do this, and then you know, I'm I'm then I'm going to die essentially. Yeah, you do uh, it here with
1: the grandkid, and then you you go off peacefully.
0: Yeah, you see your grandkid for maybe six months or a year, and then you go off and you you meet your maker. You meet the caretaker. Uh, I I think that's an interesting choice. I I also think that it's a little. I mean, let's talk about the fact that Kess is in a romantic, if not sexual, relationship with Neelix because it, for at least Whoa. to me in this episode, it yeah. seems to be clear that Neelix and Kess have not had sex. So yeah. they, they, they have they have separate quarters. They have not had sex before. Neelix is obviously very interested in in very into the idea of of having sex with Kess because I, I assume that she's an attractive woman, but. um What what do you, what I mean? Well, part of it is that you could read this one of two ways, right? You could say that either it's deeply creepy that Neelix is having a romantic relationship with a person who has not yet entered puberty, but on the other hand, it doesn't seem like Ocampa puberty really tracks onto the sort of puberty that we are used to.
1: It's not an analog. I mean, she, she, the implication is that she is fully grown and that this is, uh, again, if 90 years, if that humans live. At, at the outside 90 years, assuming if they had a benevolent God taking care of them the proper way, most would live to around 90 years or so. And so each year of Kes's life tracks to – so she's the equivalent about – you would be – she's the equivalent of being about 20 at this point then. Yeah, and exactly. When she, when she would really have a child around 40. So yeah, it doesn't really analog. But I guess one of the implications is that – and I – I'm going to hell for asking you the question, but does... Uh, assuming that Neelix has a penis, does, does Kess have a vagina? Because I don't know if she does. They mention that there is a sack on her back that carries the child. It, the... Um, when she's talking about the process, she holds up her hands and says, we need to be bonded for six hours, so assumedly something is going with the hand kind of a thing. Like, whatever the... Whatever the reproductive process that Kes's species goes, it's not what we know. I I don't think she can do what we imagine as sexual. What we know is sexual intercourse by right any, a, by any human definition, gay or straight, and so maybe they don't have a sexual relationship because they can't. It's just it, it there is. There, there is no tab A or a slot B in the in the equation.
0: Well, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good question, and it's something that I was wondering about as well, because you're right that I don't know that the Ocampa actually have sexual desire or a sexual uh, uh, ability in the same way that most other species that we've seen on Star Trek do. I mean, in general, species on Star Trek... Have sex in a very similar way to humans. Yeah. It may not be exactly the same, but there's a tab A going into slot B, as you say. Yeah, and and I don't, you know, part of me says I don't know how well thought out Ocampa sexuality is because what exactly is going on with Kess? I don't know. She's got this weird orange stuff on her hands. I mean, it reminds like pollen. Me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It reminds which, me almost know, of the sticky parts of flowers that catch pollen. Sure, but then if that's a thing, Neelix isn't producing the kind of pollen that will fertilize her anyway, is he?
0: No. So so, and then there's something about someone has to massage her feet until her tongue swells. There there
1: there is a degree
0: I... to which I think it's just a bunch of weird shit that the writer thought was going to be fun, and,
1: and I it doesn't to, really yeah. make a lot of sense because it doesn't. Yeah. It do, uh, uh. I mean, she, when when she is at her most sexually voracious, when she is at the point when she wants to have a baby with her boyfriend, she is growing very pale, having a fever, sweating, her palms get a green goo, her, her tongue swells. Like, this is not... This,
0: this is this not is the, attractive.
1: Yeah, <laughs> this is the opposite of everything that... You, again, I think part of it is what's the opposite of what humans would find attractive and desirable and sexy and let's let's do that because, of course, remember that the other plot that the ship is dealing with is of a very weird and bizarre sexuality that we don't find attractive but doesn't matter. That's what the species does. Uh, I yeah. mean, Neelix is very uh, – uh, give him credit that he is game for doing whatever – uh, Kess Kes wants in the service of having a baby because it probably. You uh, again, we we are going to assume that Talaxians have standard humanoid sex too. I
0: mean, it seems to be. He seems very excited about the idea of mating with Kess, so I would assume that, that he has a penis. I mean, I don't really want to think about Neelix's penis, but I'm sure it exists. Now, his penis. <laughs> Very well played. So so aside from this whole mess that I think we've done about a good a job as we can analyzing, what what do you think this means for the future of Neelix and Cass's relationship? Because to me, this really seems to be a turning point. I don't know that they're going to be as close as they used to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, they end it with saying, well, you know, due to the deus ex Machina, I'll be able to have a kid again, so that'll be great. Uh, and Neelix saying, all right, that's great, that's fine, you know, it's sad, we'll, but we'll deal with it. But i again no even knowing that Kes does not finish out the run of the series i don't see them spending the rest of the uh, they're not going to spend the next next seven years of Kes's life together let's put it that way i don't yeah and and, and one also wonders if i mean uh, my questions are about what uh ke's society is if you don't made and have a child until you're 40, Um does that I, – I mean, is somebody of Kess's age expected to be dating a lot of different guys because since there is no sex really involved, it is very close friendships with uh, other people? I mean, does she it, – it, is she so easily able to be close with the doctor and Tom Paris and everybody because – they're one big family and everybody's encouraged and then you find the one you find the most special and then you have a child with them at age 40. And she she certainly believes that Neelix is that special one, but she I, – I, I don't know. I mean I think almost, even her interactions with other people are different from normal, quote-unquote, humanoid sexuality in a way that I don't know if Neelix is going to be able to keep making that be open to that for, for the rest of their relationship. She is always going to be a person who is going to have a lot of friends. I don't know if he can deal with that.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely don't. I mean, you know, we, we started off this this conversation talking about Neelix's newfound, uh, you know, insane jealousy, which I'm not a fan of. Yeah. But it is it is the case that I think that's true. And I also think that, that Neelix has a ton of growing up to do that he has not done. I mean, we don't know yeah. how old Neelix is. I mean, let's say he's 40 uh, or the equivalent of 40. Uh, so he he is older than than Cass, uh, at least in terms of of maturation levels. But in 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 the sense that I think, for I I, I keep going back to that scene with with Tuvok and Neelix yeah. in the mess hall, where where they're talking about having a child, and uh, you know Tuvok is about a hundred years old, I think ninety years old, something like that. So he, for, in terms of, in, in terms of. Vulcan lifespan. He's middle aged, and he has had his children. He has four children. You know, you you see a Vulcan that is talking about loving his children, even though he does not use that word, and he kind of convinces Neelix that it's something that is, uh, you know, proper and desirable to do. Yeah, and I think for Neelix, that's a moment of growing up. But I think that in in a certain sense, I've always gotten the impression that that Cass, even though she is quote unquote younger than Neelix. She is much more mature than him. Yeah. I think she, she knows who she is a lot more than Neelix does. And I think that to, at some point, this relationship is going to come to an end only because Cass is not going to feel that Neelix is driving her forward anymore. And I don't think that she's going to want to have to deal with him.
1: Well, I, I, I think of it this way, uh, because the ep- at the episode when they first find out she's really excited about having child, Neelix is not, and then... You know, Neelix talks to Tuvok, gets all fired up because of how much Tuvok talks about. And yes, this is going to be great. And so in a moment of passion, he's deciding, yes, let's go have a child. Meanwhile, Kes is recovering from her moment of passion of this is the last time I can have a baby. And so I must have to have a baby right now or I'm never going to have a baby. And then when she's with the doctor and talking it out and she is calming down and, you know, the rational part is taking over and she's realizing you know, I'm on the ship in the middle of nowhere. I'm not going to I'm not going to be having a child in the way I kind of wanted to, with, you know, this passage between my dad and me and realizing that I'm an adult. I can't continue my medical studies if we're dealing with the child. Having the child is not the responsible. That's her in her moment of in a way, clarity, and she comes to the decision that this isn't the right choice at this point in time. If this right. had been two years later, if they had been on her home planet, if her father had been around, maybe things would be different, but that isn't it. And so she's really—again, he's getting fired up to have a child. That's the moment of passion. I don't know if Neelix really does want to have a kid. I think he just likes the idea of having the kid at this point, which is not to say he'd be a bad father, which is not to say any of that, but— right. I think at the end they both. Kes is the one I think making the more responsible decision to not become a teen mom, and he's he's saying, you know, well, I'm 35, but my you know 17 year old girlfriend, we're going to have a great life together. That's, that's, that's the equivalent of what this is. And are, are,
0: are, are you starting to see why I find the Neelix and Kess relationship to be sort of problematic?
1: No, it wasn't really until this episode that, again, there was always an age disparity between the two of them, sure, but it wasn't really – this is the episode in which it really – you have that moment where it's, where it's clear that, oh, they really are that much younger. She really is that much younger than he is. And I mean, right now, this episode is reminding me a little of uh, Manhattan with Woody Allen. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: uh, uh, aside from from the Neelix and Kess stuff, I I think that... Let's move aside from that for a minute. Let's talk about the other thing that I want to talk about with Elosium, which is uh, the aliens. No, I don't want to talk about them. Uh, I want to talk about... (laughs) The 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 idea that scene in Janeway's ready room with Chakotay where they're talking about the possibility that Voyager is going to have to become a generational ship, and I think this is something that you've mentioned before about the idea that, and I think this is something that even we've seen a little bit with, for example, like Paris and Kim talking about the Delaney sisters or Kess and Neelix or what what have you, uh, that characters, crew members on Voyager are going to start pairing off because people are lonely and people are going to have yeah. to find comfort where they can. Chakotay is obviously sort of disturbed by this because he feels that it is not proper for people to be making out in the turbolift, which may or may not be true. I don't know.
1: Well, as Janeway says, "You know, yes, maybe some more discretion, certainly, but you can't stop them from making out.
0: Right. And, and so I think the implication that Janeway, I think, is starting to—this is the show kind of turning a corner to some degree, where mm. the 37s seem to be kind of the end of the idea that they're going to get home quickly, right? That that was the last thing, and they're not going to do it. And having this decision to stay, they decided not to stay. So they've got—okay, they're 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 stuck for this for a while. They've been here for six months. They're, there's no quick fix for this. They've, they've had, like, three or four false yeah. uh, uh, ways to get home quickly. It's not going to happen. They also don't want to stay on a ship or or stay on a planet. Everyone has decided that. That's what the end of the 37s indicated, that there's this wonderful planet that's filled with humans that seems to be idyllic that they don't want to stay on. Okay, so what does this mean? Are they going to be able to operate the ship for 75 years while they get home? No. So they're going to have to start having children, and I think Janeway is starting to say, is that what we want to do. And the show, I think, wisely doesn't come to any sort of conclusion about that. But at the end of the episode, it forces the question yeah. again because someone is pregnant.
1: Well, as they say, you know, I, and part of the point is that they have planned, they could plan their perfect society to do this as a generational ship, but. Or they can decide fully, no, this is not going to happen, but as Jurassic Park says, life will find a way. Even if they had instituted a ban day one of no sexual intercourse on the ship, this was a woman who had gotten pregnant from her husband before leaving on the voyage in the first place. This 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 is something that they have to deal with because they are people, because they are human or humanoid, and because, as they say, they're lonely. They have... I don't know. One of I, I think about um, the book Road to Wigan Pier by George Orwell, where there's a. It's talking about uh, coal miners and in the north of England, and and there's a section where they're saying, you know, you'll have people saying, "Well, these people are so poor. Why are they getting married? Why are they having families? They shouldn't be doing that." Nobody who is that poor would, but people are marrying and having families because they're people. They'll fall in love. They will want to have children. This is this is again this is life and they have to accept and acknowledge that and so they almost have to fa- whether they want to or not they have to factor that in and
0: yeah yeah now
1: they do have to deal with the fact that they may become a generation ship even if they don't want to
0: right and i and i think that the you know the question was academic at the beginning of the episode and the question seemed to be resolved when yeah. cast decided not to to try and have a child but then of course haha the fake out well it's happening whether or not you want it to. So we're going to have to deal with this. And and what does that mean? I, you know, I think we're going to have to see. I mean, obviously, uh, 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 no uh, Ensign Wildman is a, is a new character that we've never seen before. Yeah. But now that they've laid this idea down that someone is pregnant and is going to have a child. Yeah. She's not going to disappear.
1: And she's also not going to be the last person on the ship who is going to have a child. Mm-hmm. Um I do love how the Ensign and Janeway have the same exact haircut. Like, apparently this is one of the standard <laughs> issue Starfleet haircuts for women, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, there's 17 different haircuts for women and and, yeah. and and 17 different haircuts for men, and they've chosen that one.
1: <laughs> but, w- which at the same time, I do wonder if there is intended to be a continuity between the two of them, because... I. It's not incidental that th- – I think this is the first time we hear Janeway's boyfriend's name, Mark. Um,
0: yeah, and, and I think – well, I don't know if she mentioned his name in the pilot. She may have, but we did see her talking to him. So. Yeah,
1: either way, he's he, his presence is mentioned, and the fact that Janeway could very – I, I – I, I, I wonder if it's even subtly making the point that, you know, even Janeway could be the one having a baby. Really, just people are going to be reproducing on the ship and it's just going to happen. I don't know. Yeah. If there there is a symbolic, this could just be anyone on the ship. I don't know.
0: Well, we're just going to have to see where that goes. And I think that's where we'll leave this episode of Truck About. So if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager we just talked about, projections and illusion, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. If you like our podcast and want to support us financially, please go to patreon.com truckaboutshow where you can donate monthly. There are reward tiers there. If you donate $5 a month or more, you will get a special patrons-only episode that we release once a month. The one for May was kind of an interesting departure for us. We did what handful of original series episodes best encapsulate what that show is all about. So go to patreon.com/truckaboutshow if you would like to donate. It also supports our other podcast. Tuning in, just in two days, we are releasing the X Files season one finale episode. <gasps> you won't want to miss that. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're on all those places. Truckaboutshow is our username. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new people to find the show, and keeps iTunes in business, which all is very, very important. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Voyager episodes Non sequitur and Twisted, which I Ooh. think also is the last of the season one episodes that was held over for season two.